if it's not the right people, it's just going to hurt your reach per post. And if it is the right people and it's a smaller number, but it's small but mighty, that means a ton for your ability to really break through the noise and see big picture profit just through say 2000 followers. I've seen it done many, many times. Welcome to Working Girl Talk, the podcast for working women, where each week we cover the latest headlines the businesswoman needs to know, and we chat to boss women making an impact in their industry. I'm your host, Abby Zufelt. Hello, welcome back to Working Girl Talk. Super excited about today's episode. I am so pumped for this because it is so jam-packed with goodness. I was considering skipping out on headlines this week because I just want to get straight into the interview, but too much is happening and my working girls need to know. So let's dive right in to the headlines this week so we can get to the interview and all of that good stuff. First up, Instagram launches personal fundraisers to provide assistance for businesses and causes during COVID-19, according to Social Media Today. So Instagram is stepping into almost what feels like some GoFundMe territory. And as explained by Instagram, here's how it goes. So quote, starting today, which was earlier this week, we are rolling out a new way to raise money for a personal cause like yourself, your small business, a friend, or a cause that's important to you. We'll begin by rolling a small test to create a personal fundraiser in the US, UK, and Ireland on Android and followed by iOS soon. So this new initiative is powered through Stripe, which is Facebook's payment processor for donations, and Instagram will review all of the fundraisers to ensure that they meet the eligibility criteria, and once approved, you can start raising money. So each fundraiser, according to Instagram, can last 30 days, and they can also be extended, and you have to be at least 18 years old to create one. So this is just one of the many new releases to support businesses and people during this COVID-19 era, I'm sure you've seen on the top of your Instagram page, it says like, if you have a business page, it has like COVID-19 business resources. My take on this is one, it helps that bottom line of trying to help businesses. So it's good for Instagram to do this kind of stuff. It also shows once again, that Instagram is really aiming to be kind of the one, the all-in-one platform here. So you can be doing donations now too. We know in the past that Instagram started stories, which kind of made Snapchat stories, like the similar vibe kind of disappeared. And then now Instagram is in the talk of reels to kind of compete with TikTok and now they're in like the donation game too so you kind of like you don't even need to like oh link in bio to my GoFundMe page no you can just do it right on the post so pretty interesting so Instagram is just taking over next story search engine journal reports that Hulu launches beta for a self-serve advertising platform this is so exciting digital advertisers listen up because this applies to you So the new advertising platform is aimed at small and medium-sized businesses, which is cool because typically advertising on Hulu was more expensive, so it was bigger companies. And the new beta aims to give lower budget the opportunity to appear alongside nationally known shows with a low minimum budget of just 500 bucks. So let's dive into a little bit of the specifics here. So it looks very similar to Facebook Ads Manager, like any sort of ad advertising platform like that you can set your date range audience targeting budget 
target impression level, all that normal stuff that you'd be able to. And you can also target by age, gender, location. And it does say that there are options for interests, but they didn't really dive into the specifics on that yet. And the ad creative must be video, obviously anywhere from 15 to 30 seconds. One thing that's interesting is that you can only have one creative per campaign. So you got to make sure it's the video that you want out there. Um, And if you are interested in this, you do have to apply and wait for Hulu to contact you. My take, very cool, super excited for this ad opportunity for smaller businesses. And it really just shows how important video is. So Over the years, YouTube has been like the main spot for video advertising. Now we have TikTok announcing their self-serve advertising platform a few weeks ago. Hulu's jumping in. So lots of video coming in our future, which I think is a great thing. We already see ads in Hulu anyway. So this does not like bug me as a consumer either because you're already seeing ads. Technically, you can pick the interest of your audience, but you can't pick the show that you show up for. So that may be interesting for some brands that, that they want to have a certain brand image and they're showing up for certain shows. Whew, you never know. Last story before we head into the interview, a headline again from Search Engine Journal this week, Google faces new class action lawsuit for privacy violations. This was a like what headline? Like, Because I had not heard about this until I actually found the story myself. So Google was hit with a class action lawsuit claiming privacy violations via Android apps. And the plaintiffs allege that Google misleads users with false impressions of control over their data. And I'm just, I'm going to read straight from the Search Engine Journal article because anytime there's like a lawsuit happening, I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm just going to read exactly what they said right here. So the lawsuit alleges that Google's privacy controls are fake and that Google is illegally intercepting and selling private data. The plaintiffs also claim that Google's privacy controls do not stop Google from harvesting and selling sensitive online activity information. And the lawsuit presents what it describes as evidence that Google continues to access private information regardless of any privacy settings. So that's kind of the scoop on it. There are a ton of details in this and it's like a whole big thing. So the lawsuit is called Rodriguez versus Google. If you are curious about this, definitely go look it up yourself because it is just a lot too much to go over on this podcast. So depending on how the it turns out, this could potentially affect data from Google Analytics, data from your advertising with Google, and just that whole thing. So this could potentially be pretty big. So something to watch about, something that I will continue to report on if I see some more news about it. But again, I link the these articles in the show notes. So if you are curious about learning more, definitely read this one. Now it is time for our interview. I am so excited. Before we dive into the brief intro about Shannon, just a reminder, if you're listening right now and not subscribed to the show, click that subscribe button. And while you're at it, takes take it literally takes 30 seconds. Take 30 seconds to review the show. Write a little review on why you like the show and give us five stars and click submit and we will love you forever. <laughs> now, I am super excited to introduce Shannon. So Shannon Lutz is a powerhouse. She is the founder and CEO of The Social Bungalow. She's an educator, speaker, and marketing 
expert. Her company, Social Bungalow, helps female entrepreneurs market their expertise and structure their online businesses for big picture profit. Shannon's statement on her website, I love. So she said, I mix community building with buyer psychology to help female entrepreneurs leverage their brilliance and skyrocket their sales. Isn't that amazing? I love it. So in this episode, we talk about Shannon's career journey going from working her corporate job to launching her own business. We also talk about Instagram, hashtags, marketing, sales, all the good stuff. So get your notepads ready because this episode has some fantastic takeaways. Everybody, welcome Shannon to the show. So excited to welcome Shannon Lutz to Working Girl Talk today. So excited to have you, Shannon. This has been a long time in the making. I agree. I'm so excited to be here with you and you guys listening. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes. We love it. So to start us off, can you give us just a brief intro of who you are and what you do for those that may not know? Yes. So I am the owner, CEO of The Social Bungalow, which is a company dedicated to helping female entrepreneurs with online-based businesses structure the business for scale and then make big picture profit in the process. So we do that through courses, programs, community, and then coaching. It's really a shiny bright corner of the internet where everybody comes to learn, grow, and connect and just kind of get from A to B faster and the right way. Love it. That is awesome. And like, that was like perfect, perfect description. Love it. Um, So before we dive into like what you're doing now and get into the specifics, I want to hear more about your background, your journey. So let's go all the way back. Did you always picture yourself owning a business? And did you, I guess, did you always kind of have like an entrepreneurial spirit? Mm, Good question. I, I don't think so. I've always been scrappy, but The thing is that I've been in marketing my entire career, but for corporations. And with that, kind of going from company to company, climbing the ladder, there's a little voice in your head that says, you know, you do digital marketing, this could be taken remote. You don't need to come to this office every day. Um, And you also don't need to deal with politics and red tape. So perhaps consider. And it just never felt like the right time or, you know, why? So I can go and kind of fight for all of my income and be a freelancer or help mom and pops. And they didn't really have a budget, even though that sounds great, blah, blah. So I stayed the corporate route. And with that, always having, you know, the creative bone that most of us do, like, do I start a blog? I love Pinterest and I want to create. And we all, us women at some point had a blog and we redesigned our MySpace profile 27 times per day. You know, we're all the same generation. And so with that, um, I hadn't necessarily pictured having my own business. I did picture being in control of my schedule, my time, and my money, which, you know, kind of same, same, but it didn't quite occur to me until, um, until I finally achieved what I fully wanted in the corporate world. And then it was like a veil dropping where I was now given permission. I was able to see what it was that I could do. And, um, I was able to see where I wanted to dig in fulfillment wise, which was more helping, not making the greats greater, but helping some of those underdogs get what it is that they need. So I did start reaching out to local brick and mortar businesses and trying to find out how I could really help people get to where they want to go quickly. And that's when I found female entrepreneurship for myself slash the community that was sitting here. And it's just been like the rest is history. It's been the fastest, most beautiful love story. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. I want to go back a little bit to your more corporate side career. So I guess how did that start? Because digital marketing is relatively new. So did you kind of like 
in high school, that like era, like, did you know that's what you wanted to go into or more like traditional and you fell into more of the digital side? Yeah, no, not at all. And I hadn't quite, definitely not in high school and I hadn't quite defined what it was that I wanted to do. And so I was working just like a decent job, kind of making ends meet when a family friend reached out and said, you're great with the budding thing that is social media. Facebook was new on the scene and said, I've got sort of an agency and I was interested in hiring you probably because I was cheap labor as a social media manager. So I came in to, and this was still, there was MySpace, there was Facebook, um, Twitter was like the cool thing. And so we started with their different companies, me doing the social media, but by proxy of being on the marketing team, I was able to sponge up a ton of different elements of marketing, fell in love, mostly from the psychology perspective, really being able to step away from some of the slimy manipulation and lean into persuasion and helping people get what it is that they really need, that they're just standing in their own way from seeing the solution to their problem by using psychological marketing, fell in love. And um, then I went, got some schooling, got some certifications, did the thing, climbed the corporate ladder and went on from there. Awesome. Love it. And then so from corporate, can we talk about that time from transitioning into starting your own thing? Because I'm sure that wasn't an overnight thing. It takes a little bit of time. How did you handle that transition? Was it scary? And how long before you took the leap into full on running your own thing? Mm-hmm. I So I then was in different companies for 10 years and I really wanted to get the corner office and the big title and the big salary. And so it, you can, you, you cap out typically at one company, unless you're with a startup to where they're like, this year you get a 3% raise. And you're like, no, why did you give me 16 times the workload? Um, and so I would then go from company to company. I, I worked at three or four different ones so that I could ascend quickly and not just make lateral moves. So increasing my salary, increasing my title, I got to the point of VP of marketing Loved that. Got the good office, got to work with A-list celebrities, got to travel the country on the company's dime. And I think at that point is when I really felt like I did the thing and my blinders were able to come off. And with that, I started getting really fired up. And I think, like you said, digital marketing, but also the wild west of our entrepreneurial space. It's relatively new, especially the latter. And seeing a lot of women blaze the trail and make wildest dreams and come off of their own business slash the heart-centered lifeblood of being able to help other women and just transform lives, started rewriting my neural pathways to where I was like, wow, this is possible and seeing what could be done income-wise. So with that, it was the planting of a seed while at corporate. So I started consuming more of that content and listening to more of those podcasts and understanding how I could make this my own and who I would, who I would do it for. Because I really believe that if you try to build a business without the ideal client you're building the products for to actually be able to sell, it's like having all of the pieces of the puzzle out in front of you, but not the picture on the front of the box. You can still put the puzzle together. It'll just take you three times as long. And so with that, it was a, it was finally a concrete decision. I want to go ahead and pivot into my own business. I want to help female entrepreneurs at the point of coming across that solution. It was then probably a six month, yeah, six month transition plan to where I made myself a, I want to be able to have, you know, this, this many members in the community. I want to have this many clients. I want to have this kind of experience for me to be able to go and as much in savings as well, to be able to say, if this goes belly up the second that I jump ship, I'm okay. Um, and I could always go to another company if I needed to. So that 
I definitely made a plan and I definitely dipped my toes as I went, but I did spend a lot of that morning and evening time doing the side hustle life of writing a lot of content and trying to hop on sales calls and a Starbucks lunch break. Like, I'll be right back. I'm just going to grab a coffee and you're in your car trying to have a, a chat with a potential client. So, um, yeah, about six months. I love it. And I hope everyone's taking notes because you are already sharing some gold with us. <laughs> I guess since launching Social Bungalow, how has it evolved since then to where it is now? It was a lot of coaching and coaching was kind of the only thing that I was offering. And I really am happy that I went about diving into the deep end of relationships with these women because it gave me such a plethora of clarity by proxy of action, almost acted as market research in those moments. And starting to see reoccurring themes about uh, across the board in different industries and about the same things from very different women showed me that this was a need, insert topic here, slash showed me that I'm sick of repeating myself, insert topic here. And so those couple of things became glaring and I was able to put those into courses and then the courses build the passive income and it just starts to snowball build from there. That is awesome. I love it. And we're going to talk about your courses in a sec, but I wanted to ask first, what is the most common hurdle or struggle that women come to you and they're asking your advice about? Like what's, is there a common theme you see? Mm, yeah, it's usually, I mean, the common easiest thing to say is I want to scale my income. I want to scale my business and I want to hit insert, you know, monetary goal here. Sometimes it's 10K months, sometimes it's a six figure business and they don't necessarily always know what they want that vehicle to look like. Because I like to say that as a coach slash strategist, I kind of meet in the access point that I help you, you come to me and you say, here's the dream car. I want it to have this motor and be this shiny color and have all these fixins. And here's where I'd like to ultimately go. And I say, great, I'll go get the parts. I'll help build the vehicle and I'll make the roadmap to get there. But I need you to tell me what it looks like initially and where you want to go. And then I need you at the tail end to get in the car and drive. And if a client at the end of our contract decides that they want to park it in the garage for a couple months, because by the time they got from step one to three, four through six look dramatically different, totally fine. If they want to go off-roading and take a different path, totally fine. But I can't really build the car and make the map if they don't know what it is that they ultimately want. And sometimes the destination, the six-figure business, it's very clear to them, but what that business feels like and what containers are actually selling and how they're facilitating transformation for clients isn't as concrete. So we sit down and we, we really look at what they ultimately want. And then from there, we build out a program suite that's built for the lifetime value of their warmest tribe and not trying to talk to everybody on the internet. So important and so many good things to be thinking about. So I want to talk about your online courses and what you offer and specifically your five-figure Instagram course. What was the process like first launching a course and what has been the biggest learning lesson? Because I'm sure when you launch your first one to where you are now, you probably learned a lot of things along the way. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, so with five figure Instagram, that's kind of my firstborn baby and it's all things advanced Instagram marketing. And so I think that there are a lot of Instagram courses on the scene. So if you're listening to this and you feel like there's a redundancy in something you want to create, please know that nobody can make it like you. And also having seen a lot of different variations gives you a real compass to elevate the experience within your product. So don't let that stop you. And looking around, I felt like there were a lot of great resources, but they were a little seeker sensitive. And in my community, most of the women are already Instagram mad scientists. We can read our analytics. We are posting, we're storying, we are asking 
asking nitty gritty deep questions. So I wanted to create this advanced roadmap for these women. And it really focuses on relationship building, lead generating, and then sales converting using the app centered around building a, a strong community of loyalized tribe members. So with that, I decided when that whole thing poured out of me and I had my zone of genius on paper that she was pretty thick and would be fairly overwhelming. And so I extracted caption writing and I made that its own mini course, which is called the Vinchworthy Bundle. They can exist separately, but they're a perfect complement to work together, which is fabulous for an upsell at checkout because I'm able to increase my per cart purchase by customer. About 60% of the people add that to cart, which is really nice for a business model. Highly recommend. And so with that extraction, that all happened at the beginning I decided for the first launch that I wanted to go ahead and allow my audience to dip their toes with me and my self-study programs by launching the lesser expensive mini before launching the more expensive master. So the binge worthy bundle came out and then two months later, five figure Instagram. And now from there, we've done a couple few live launches and now it's on an evergreen and launched a zillion courses with my clients. Um, so I've got it down to a science that yes, the first time can be fairly exhaustive. I've heard people say they have launched PTSD, um, but there is a way to make it fun in the process. And it really, I think that there's a conversation around, you know, don't use busy as a badge of honor and, you know, the, the hustle is not what we're going for. And I totally agree. Let's get into flow. But there are seasons in your business where you need to hustle to make something happen and doing front loaded work of creating a course and then creating a strong promo plan and showing up for your audience and answering all the DMS and really putting it out there makes a huge difference for where you are now to where you want to be, where you're shopping in whole foods for bananas. And all of a sudden Stripe lets you know that a thousand dollars just came through to get that life. We have to do some front loaded work. And so the effortless term that is commonly used in marketing, I like to say it is effortful, but it is so worth it. And I can give you the strategic roadmap to get you there. So kind of off tangent, but yes, my firstborn five-figure Instagram is alive and thriving and well-launched and well-loved multiple times. Okay. Amazing. Shannon, like, I'm just like, wow, like so many light bulbs are going off. Everyone's going to love hearing this. I love it. I love what you said about not fearing like the saturation because no one will do it like you. I think in social media specifically, the lot of that happens, whether that's even like, oh, well, I can't post about that because somebody already is, or I can't start that business or that blog or that website or that podcast because ever a lot of people have that fear that, oh, it's, it's already been done. No one needs to hear from me. So I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. So well said. And it's just so extraordinarily true that it, there are people right now that don't even know maybe they have a problem or they do, but they're waiting inadvertently for your product to exist and those individuals that are going to send you those life-changing testimonials oh my gosh i don't know who i was without you i couldn't have gotten where i am without this program that's the difference of some of that front-loaded work and the impact you can make for people so don't be selfish you know <laughs> put it out there you've got people waiting to have their lives changed by proxy of your knowledge Yes, I love it. I loved your marketing or promotion of five figure Instagram has been really cool to watch because it really is about it's like very service oriented. I love watching like the post it notes of people's names on your stories. Like, it's such a cool process to see. And I really like that you're kind of like shedding the behind the scenes a little bit too on that process. Has that been something that why was that important for you to share the, the post it notes? Like, where does that where that idea come from? 
Yeah, great question. I'm really big in general in my business about transparency. So I do monthly income reports. When I have a high month, when I have a low month, this is what worked, this is what didn't. And I will take people behind the scenes of my dashboards and what have you. So really showing everything, I think, for me and in my the culture of my brand is important. And so with that, one of the things that I teach within marketing is to utilize FOMO because especially as us women are sitting on Instagram watching all the fabulous things happen, FOMO is alive and thriving and you can use it for good, but the there's four types of FOMO and three of them are a little bit more negative than the fourth. So we've got urgency, exclusivity, scarcity, and then inclusivity. And that is your typical, your first three are your typical um, act now, cards only open for a certain amount of days, only a certain amount of spots available. And so there is a level of scarcity and it's it's got a negative connotation, but it does get people off the fence. The fourth one, inclusivity, that's my favorite. That's where we're saying, this is the cool kids club and we are thrusting our arms open at you saying, come in, come in, we want you to hang out with us and we wanna all collaborate. And so with that, the sticky notes to circle back, that's my inclusivity part of a launch where I love to show who all is purchasing, shout them out, honor them and say, come in and hang out with us. And also what color sticky note do you want? Because you're gonna be a part of this club, you're gonna be a part of this family. I love it. And it goes back to really the power of community and how that's so important and long lasting. I don't think brands can just be surface level anymore. I think really building that community will make you like that longevity that that's the only way. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk about your email list and get some insight there because you have some killer emails and I'm sure that attributes a lot into your business model. So for somebody who is struggling to build an email list, do you have any tips or like your best insight that you've learned along the way? Yeah. I usually say don't build an email list just to build an email list or just to do the email marketing thing because you know you're supposed to. Have a purpose, have a goal in mind. Is it important 1000% your Instagram could get hacked tomorrow and would you potentially lose all your leads and basically your business? Most likely if you don't have some sort of a CRM, a tracker or an email list. So yes, very important. But to do it just because we know we're supposed to is where we get that exhausted or that awkward feel like I'm just emailing. I don't even know what the purpose is. Should I do a newsletter? Now I feel shackled to my business every week. So really utilizing it for nurturing to the point of converting your ideal client into a program that you think is, is the appropriate fit based off of more of an automated sequence versus you getting on a sales call and having a connection with them. That's where you can really utilize the power for good and for profit. So yes, having people on your email list where you're regularly sending out value-add emails, i.e. tips and tricks like you would on Instagram or in a Facebook group if you were to go live, um, but then also sharing part of your day or telling a long-winded story. You've got several different personality types on your list, and so you have a lot of wiggle room to play around with longer-winded emails or short and sweet to the point emails. Perfect. And I was actually going to ask about um, some ideas or insights for somebody who's planning content for emails and you pretty much answered that too. So that was perfect. You're ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) And then specifically, what email platform do you use? I use active campaigns, which I actually just pivoted to recently. So kind of the three, four big ones on the scene are MailChimp, Floodesk, ConvertKit, and active campaigns. Um, MailChimp is the least expensive. It's typically free. You can get into it very easily, but it doesn't have all the bells and whistles. Um, But I see a lot of people on that or on ConvertKit, which is where I started. 
convert kit and flood desk kind of run parallel as kind of that intermediate space. So if you're looking to make like a $30 monthly investment, those will, those will support you nicely. Active campaigns has the bells and whistles to really build out a spider web on that back end to make if this then that style action funnels. So it's hard to explain just audibly, but basically somebody comes into your funnel because they opted in for one of your free resources. Now they're on the email list, but they're segmented by this free resource because that's the thing that they got. So they're immediately going to receive an email delivering the free resource and then maybe three follow-up emails just giving them extra value, telling them who you are, why you're glad that they're here, inviting them to join your Facebook group, follow you on Instagram, whatever that looks like. From here, you have the option to further segment your list. And to give you an example of this that would be easy to understand audibly, let's say that you send them an email that says, are you more into learning about health and wellness or mindset? Because perhaps you talk about both and you've got two different products or two different um, newsletters that could serve them. Once they click one or the other, you have the ability to set up a tag that applies to the person because they took a certain action. So if they click mindset, they've now been tagged with mindset. And when you send out a mindset email, you can say send to people tagged with mindset. So you've got a little, a lot of options on the back end. The main thing for me with active campaigns is that it has this feature called predictive sending, which says if you have an email automated or scheduled to send out Thursday morning at 10 a.m., but I know that Susie always checks her email Wednesday night at 10 p.m. and you're basically gonna get completely lost on Thursday and she won't ever see it, you'll get deleted. I'm going to predictively, if it's within a 24 hour window, send the email to somebody when it's the best time for them versus you getting lost by the time that you schedule it. Awesome, so many good nuggets in there, I love it. And for somebody who's just getting into email marketing, I think that is some great insight, especially some of those more advanced technical things you got going on there too. Um, awesome. I want to go back to Instagram, the Instagram of it all, because I think that is on a lot of business owners' minds <laughs> and uh, everyone should just definitely check out your course. But what would be the one tip you would say to growing, not just an audience, but growing an engaged audience, because you've done a really good job at doing that. You have a really engaged community. You can you, like see looking at your posts, you have a lot of people sharing your content, a lot of people commenting and liking. What has been like, what's your best tip for somebody who wants to grow that engaged audience? I would say get to know your people really and truly. And I know that you've probably heard that before, like, you know, engage with them and, and chat with them in the DM. But really, if you don't, if you could make a list of a hundred people that are in your community that you want to make sure over the course of a month, you leave a comment or you watch their story, you respond to them, you piece it out by week to not make it overwhelming. If you make that list of 100 people and you don't know, you know, maybe their coffee order or their husband's name or their breed of their dog, and they're just a person on the internet that if you heard their handle or their name, you'd be like, I have no idea who that is. You might want to get to know your community better. Um, I've really built true relationships. I always say to my community, you're the best friends a girl could have. Like they're not just clients or not just potential course purchasers. They are people that I want to have lifelong relationships with. So giving in order to get and really genuinely digging in like you would if you were in person at a networking event and not jumping right into, Hey, what do you do? But jumping into your hair looks great. Where'd you get that dress? Tell me more about you. Let's actually have a conversation making each other laugh, like flirting a little in the DMs. If you were forced to walk up to a girl in Starbucks who just ordered the same coffee drink as you and tell her one thing or ask her one thing, 
you would find something to say other than let me tell you about my services. That would be extraordinarily weird. So just treating it like a real human interaction and, and really digging into relationship building. That is awesome. For people that blame the algorithm, what do you think about that? The algorithm is a fickle beast and it does affect things sometimes, but I think we give it more uh, power than it truly has. And so there's ways to work with it. There's ways to hack it. Um, I always say, if you feel like your posts are getting less engagement or less reach, because it does, it truly, Instagram has admitted, it only serves your posts to about 10% of your audience when you post, because it, wanna make, it wants to make sure that your post is quality. Their main goal is to keep people on the app. And if a user is served a poor quality piece of content, they might decide to get off the app. It's not worth their time. They need to go get back to their day. So they want to take this person on this inception content loop to where they're like, how have I been on here for hours and also got gotten served so many ads that I've purchased something? Where am I now? And so with that, if you are serving quality content that it Instagram, the algorithm knows these individuals will really want to see because your posts always mean a lot to them. They save them. They respond to them. You guys talk in the DMs. The second you post, it's going to say, ooh, ooh. Let me give it to these this 10% of people who really like this content. And then you're starting to make sure you're in front of the right people. Those people see it, they comment to support you, or they really love the post. And then Instagram says, oh, I can trust this, this post. It's clearly valuable. I'm going to expand it from 10% to 20%. And then your reach continues as it goes. So if you're feeling like you're not getting that viewership, you can kind of hack the system by giving of your time and attention to the people that you want to see attention from. You've got an ideal client, you put her on that community nurture list and you reach out to her once a week in the DMs, you watch her stories twice per week, you leave a hearty comment, really thoughtful on her posts. That's going, she's going to respond. That's going to then strike a conversation and show the algorithm, oh, these people get along. I'm going to make sure that they see each other's content. And I love that you're giving these actionable tips because I think sometimes it's either like, oh, all like I don't know how to get to that 10k swipe up or I don't know how to grow my following or it's the flip where it's like well isn't it easy can't you just like grow it like so but it does take a lot of work so I like that it's specific it's possible but it does take some work if, unless you go like viral or go on the bachelor or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> the bachelor yeah it absolutely does and to build it with the right people is the key and it does take a good amount of quality effort to find those people and build a relationship. And then they shout out your content and you tap into their qualified audience and it just snowballs from there. But to, to look at having a large following, if it's not the right people, it's just going to hurt your reach per post. And if it is the right people and it's a smaller number, but it's small but mighty, that means a ton for your ability to really break through the noise and see big picture profit just through, say, 2,000 followers. I've seen it done many, many times. Totally. During this COVID-19 pandemic, have you noticed any trends personally on your accounts or people that you're working with? Like, has any difference at all with, like, reach or engagement? Yeah. In March 2020, it's everybody jumped on because they wanted to serve their community. They were home. They wanted to address it. And it was great because everybody was coming from a perspective of leadership, which is wonderful, but it just tripled the output of everything. So in a saturated space, everybody's reach was smaller because there was so much noise. And then in April, it kind of carried over. And now in May, I'm seeing across the board that the algorithm is kind of rejiggering itself. 
because of the onslaught, people are starting to have things open back up. They're starting to get back to normalcy. And I'm seeing for myself and some of my clients a fairly standard reach and engagement level, but I've heard some people say, I feel like because of all that noise, it doesn't know where to place me. And I'm seeing a huge decrease in my engagement. And to that, I say, let's just dig in. You beat the algorithm by showing it like, nope, I'm committing to this app. I'm getting scrappy. I'm fanning the flame of what's working and really engaging with people. Yes, I love it. And then last question on Instagram, hashtags. There are so many different opinions about this. And I know personally, when I do use like the right hashtags and actually or do, do some research behind it, that attributes greatly to my reach. But I do know a lot of people where it's like, oh, you're only supposed to do 11 or, oh, it looks spammy. I'm not going to do it. So what are your like thoughts on hashtags, which you actually have a lot of great resources about this. Uh, thoughts on hashtags and tip if somebody doesn't know it, how to do hashtag research. Totally. So I have a little proprietary system that I call hashtag density. So we want to look at the usage of a hashtag and I, ca I categorize it by low, mid and viral. So low would be up to say 20,000 usage, mid would be 20,000 up to 500,000 and then 500 plus would be viral. So let me, I'm pulling up my calculator. Let's say that we have a mid-level hashtag and it has been used 25,000 times in the online space since the first time anybody ever used that. If we divide 25,000 by 365 days in a year, that means 68 people are using that hashtag per day. So you're competing with 68 posts and in order to get to the trending point of the top 12 of that hashtag, you need to have the most engagement, most likes, the most comments. So do you think that based on your following size, you are going to be able to beat out, you know, what's the math of that, 54 people in order to get on that top point for this day and then hold that rank to be able to get additional viewership from there. If you do, then use it. And if you think that the competition is too high, go a little bit lower. Because if we have something with a thousand usage divided by 365, that is 2.7 people per day. And you probably have great odds. Now the flip side of that is if I'm not going big enough on the hashtag, am I not going to get enough eyeballs for this? Which yes, but if you aren't, if you're such a small fish in a big, big pond and you aren't going to see anything anyways, wouldn't it be better to go a little smaller and see some qualified eyeballs than to go really big and try to just like jump in and cast a wide net? I think yes. And that's what I've seen for my clients and through the course. So with that, I say when you're researching, sit down and take a look at your expertise and at your clients' interests and where they're located and a little bit about their lives. Oftentimes we only hashtag about our expertise and we end up attracting other experts and not other, not our clients because our clients aren't hashtagging marketing expert, hashtag health coach. <laughs> and so we, then we live in a land of, you know, support with our quote unquote competitors we don't even call them that, but we're living in a land of just talking to our peers and not actually finding ideal clients. And sometimes you will do research on your ideal client and you will find that she's not a big hashtag user. And when she does hashtag, it's used ironically, or it's because she did a hashtag bubble bath and wine. And you're, you're like, I'm not going to put that on my post. It doesn't actually go with what I do. That's absolutely absolutely fine. You can use certain hashtags on your post to show your expertise and then also tap into a broader span of your industry, such as I might put marketing strategist, but then I would also put um, 
female entrepreneurs and create and cultivate and she means business and things that are going to tap into more of an entrepreneurial space, which is who I serve. So I will find peers there, but I'll find clients as well. And then I will know that um, hashtag bubble bath and wine is something that my ideal client uses. So I can then search that hashtag to go and, and do the giving in order to get, i.e. I search the hashtag and I see all the recent posts that use that. And I might go through and like and leave a comment to say, look so relaxing, how fun, what kind of wine is that? And start building relationships there. I love it. Oh my goodness. Pulling out the calculator, getting into that. <laughs> it's awesome. So much knowledge. Love it. So on the business side, I love that you share on your stories, Sacred Tuesday. Can you talk about that and what it's meant for your business? Yes. I love Sacred Tuesday. So I, as a coach and you know, I lead different group trainings for different programs and they're, I'm just basically on the phone a lot and that does not give me space to be able to create. I've got mornings, I've got evenings, but I want to be able to have big open days where there's nothing on the calendar and if I decide to take a nap the whole day, great. And if I decide to put my AirPods in and all of a sudden 10 hours have passed and I've created a course worth of curriculum, I want the space to do it without checking the clock like, oh goodness, do I have that call coming up? Do I need to just pack this up? And you kind of get yourself out of that flow state. So I really believe in creating time and freedom for your brain to be able to do the thing it needs. And that's where a lot of that magic comes from for your business and to really um, give yourself the space to download and not necessarily in a woo way where it's like, I need the universe to download into me. And if that's your thing, by all means, I totally support it. For me, I just operate more from a headspace, more from a strategic space. And if I don't have the opportunity to let those ideas percolate, nothing can download into a concrete enough topic to be able to pour back into my audience. So keep your cup full, all that good stuff. So with Sacred Tuesdays, I leave Tuesday completely open on my calendar. And you might think, well, what about Saturday and Sunday? And I do spend those as personal days, 100%. But I really like to work on the weekend because it's, I don't do any client calls. So it's a guaranteed open spot. I'm also not responding to a lot of client messages on Voxer. I'm not responding to emails. And so I will run around and enjoy myself on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I'll be at my desk and just get an awesome amount of time to pour into my business. But that's not always the case. There's family time, there's groceries, and it all gets away from me. I guarantee that I have space on Tuesday, though. I love that. And I think that is so smart and kind of goes back into the whole hustle mindset that you do need to give yourself time to create and actually work on the business instead of in the business. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And how did that actually initially start? Did you, were you feeling like you were running into like a wall or like, how did that start? I get really, after a weekend away, quote unquote, I'm still on stories and, and chatting with everybody, but I just like, I miss everyone. And so come Monday, I'm like, yes, Monday. So I want to jump into calls. I want to be on stories. I want to go to the Facebook group and catch up with everybody. And that's, that was really awesome. I love that. But then rolling into a week's worth of calls and potentially taking Friday lighter or completely off is more of that sacred day. My cognitive energy was so low in comparison. I burned all my brain calories throughout the week. So deciding on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday as the day where my energy was going to be the highest, but I also felt like it was a safe space for me to be away from the community and not as hooked to my phone to respond to client questions. Tuesday ended up being that sweet spot in the week for my and their schedules. I see a lot of questions come in on Wednesday, Thursday. Typically when people, my clients have, you know, gotten to their clients Monday, Tuesday, and now they're focusing on their business. It's later in the week and I want to be there for them. And so Tuesday ended up just being a happy balance in the middle. 
Perfect. I love it. And as a business owner, what has been, been the biggest learning lesson? Like what would you tell past Shannon just starting out? Ooh, I would say probably market research. And yes, I know most of us have heard that before. Like, you know, have your ideal client fill out a questionnaire, get them on a call and ask them a lot of questions, but really digging in and understanding the business desires, the pain points, the challenges of the woman you want to serve or you want to create a product for, it makes such a substantial difference. First and foremost for your curriculum, because this is where this came from. Early Shannon was using that 10 years worth of marketing expertise to write blog after blog after blog about higher level digital marketing that I'm only now after a couple years in the business getting to the point where my audience is ready to hear those, you know, placing pixel. And uh, as I've expanded the educational pieces in the, the platform, they've come along with me, they've expanded their marketing knowledge. I was trying to come out of the gate talking about AI and 2019 marketing trends and things of that sort that were juicy, but not applicable. And so understanding, diving into the audience, and again, clarity follows action, really understanding what they need helped me start to craft the content that that caused a lot of saves and engagement and people to shout out my profile because they were like, wow, there was an algorithm tip. Wow, there was a tip on growing my following. And instead of me over here talking about some sort of a high level metric. So with that, um, really understanding it for your curriculum creation and community building. But additionally, when you're marketing your products or even just your knowledge, being able to have some of those verbatim lines from your client, for, from them having said, in their own words, I'm really struggling with this. It just feels like, let me give you an example. Let's say that you are a health and wellness coach and you do help people with weight loss. And so you were going to say, um, stop struggling with the all in or all out mentality. Now your ideal client might hear that and think like, what is that? I've never heard of that. And maybe their, their interest is peaked. But if you instead hopped on the phone with an ideal client or a current client and you said, what's been the biggest thing where you either go full force or you completely fall off the wagon? Like, what, what do you really struggle with in that process? And she says, you know what, I, I feel like I have to fully commit or else I, I won't make it. And if I don't make it, the second a friend invites me out to grab drinks, I feel so guilty. And then I backslide right to Ben and Jerry's. And it's just like, I have to start all over again from day one. And now you can, instead of saying, do you struggle with the all in all out mentality, say, do you feel like if you say yes to going out to drinks with a girlfriend, you're going to backslide into a tub of Ben and Jerry's. And the woman reading that, she's going to laugh. She's going to nod. She's going to feel like you get her problem in such a concrete way that no matter what container the solution comes in, you've got the answer. So important to be relatable and a, a real person when it comes to all of this stuff. Yes. Speaking of content, what are, do you have like a line you draw when it comes to free content and paid content? I say that in the fact that like with social media, like everything there, it's free knowledge and it's really nice to provide value, but where do you draw the line? Like when should you start charging people for things is, do you have like a, Oh, if they've asked me about something X times or be just because like there is a lot of free knowledge out there, which is so awesome. But at some point, some people do need to pay the bills. So do you have like a thought process or any insight into that on when people should be charging for their expertise? Mm -hmm. As far as giving of your content for free and wondering where the gray area ends, you try to be a little bit more black and white. Like I don't want to give away the kitchen sink and then not have anything to sell the client. I usually say extract some of your 
some of your mind-blowing little nuggets from the paid-for course or your coaching or your service to get on the front side because then you're able to cut through the noise with some of that mind-blowing stuff to really have someone say, wow, this girl knows her, knows her stuff. And I was able to apply her free knowledge and get a result. What's her paid knowledge like? And that really does help to set you apart. As far as giving of that great knowledge and then having somebody come in and say, okay, I've got a question. I like to answer the first question because typically I say, DM me if you have any questions. And so if I asked for it and somebody came in and now we have an open dialogue, I want to be able to give them something juicy to work with. If they ask me two or three additional questions that aren't directly a follow-up and it's like, okay, well, what about this? And, oh, should I do that? I will then voice memo them if we're on Instagram and DMs and say, these are such great questions and I really want to answer them, but I need a little bit more information from you. And this is typically something I would cover with a one-on-one client. Do you want to hop on the phone call and we can have more of a strategy session? I can see if my services are a good fit for you and we can go from there. So if it's, if they're starting to get really asky, that's when I will say, you know, genuinely, this is something that we could cover in a coaching contract that would really move the needle for you. Perfect. I love that. That's such a great tip. Um, so you are busy. You're working all the time. We have sacred Tuesday to help you get creative, but what do you do to unwind and end the work day? Like how do you unwind from all of the stuff you got going on? Yes. I drink apple cider vinegar. Typically (laughs) (laughs) I, um, so I either, I love to work out. It's just a good space for me to, it's kind of like meditating for me. And so I'll go for a run or I'll do a class and put the phone down. And if that doesn't happen in the morning, it happens in the afternoon. I'm going to get off this podcast and go for a run. And so there's that time. Um, But from there, I just try to disconnect quite a bit. So, and it's nothing too glamorous. Like I'll work out, I'll take a shower, I'll do the dogs or (laughs) I'll do the shower and take the dogs for the walk. And then from there, I will truly, I'll have apple cider vinegar. I'll drink magnesium. I'll have like special little beverages for myself. And then, um, if I'm addicted to a Netflix show, I'll watch half of an episode or one episode, depending on what I have time for. I will read my book to fall asleep. I'll hang out with my fiance and cook dinner, like very standard evening. It's just, it just comes down to being away from my computer and away from my phone because I do, I wake up early and I do jump in pretty quickly and to the day. And so I like to be able to say, okay, you've done the thing. Like it's 6 p.m., you can put your phone down, burn the brain calories. It's time to recharge. And it's okay if anybody needs you. Um, it's probably not going to be an emergency if you wait till the morning. I love that. And I like that you say brain calories. I think, I think that's a great way to think about it. Like you only have so much to give throughout the day before you need to take a break. I love that. Yeah, it's very true. You do truly only have six to 800 brain calories to burn per day. And that's why when you do a big outpouring of like curriculum creation or a lot of speaking, you feel so drained because it takes a lot of cognitive energy. And that's another reason from a marketing perspective that we want to make sure we are doing market research to be in the heads of our ideal clients, because if they can't immediately see that this content is new for them, it's going to solve a solution or pique the interest of their specific um, interests, then they will keep scrolling, then they won't spend the brain calories. Because from a biological perspective, um, going back to, let's say like our caveman days, we would say, I can't commit to this fight or this conversation or this hunt because there might be barbarians that come over the fence later and I need to be able to protect myself. I need to be able to go fight or flight mode. And with that, that's just the way that our minds work. They want to keep us safe and protected and whole. And it's not going to want to pour out time and calories to commit to a ton of 
just random posts and random videos. It's like you need to be able to cut through the noise because you want to show that brand that this is worth it and needs to come to top priority. What are you excited about? One, in your business, like what are you excited about coming up? And two, in the social media, digital marketing arena in general? Mm. In my business, I'm very excited about an upcoming launch of a product, which you perfectly cued me for a shameless plug, but genuinely, I'm really so excited about this. Um, it's called Live Launch Academy. I'm really trying to work myself out of a coaching job by creating ever available opportunities for people to get the answers that they need and done in a really elevated way where it's clear. I'm not just throwing stuff at you. I'm helping you progress. Um, and so with that in my program, Steve, as we said, we've got the caption writing course, then we've got the advanced Instagram course. And once I've found my audience really has those two things down pat, they start seeing cash infusions from their peers. How did she make 60,000? How did she make 70,000? What's happening behind the scenes? And a lot of times it's coming down to a live launch of a product or a higher ticket program. So I've worked out a framework to help us all live launch with ease, effortful, but ease and fun filled. And um, with that, I'm kind of pouring my entire methodology of creating a program suite for scale and sustainability, how to map out the curriculum, how to actually do the promo plan, and then what to do afterwards. I'm all about passive income and taking your programs ever available, evergreen, so you can have that money chitchinging in. But if we don't have a lot of product awareness for it, i.e. having done a live launch to make a big splash around it, allow for a lot of people to come through the doors, get testimonials, refine the curriculum, do it again, and then maybe at that point say, okay, it's ready to go on the shelf in a really smart automated funnel sale process, i.e. evergreen. Um, then we're going to be leaving money on the table because we're going to be leaving awareness on the table. So that's the next step. That's the next thing I'm releasing. I am so excited for that. Um, so excited in the social media space. Well, right now, TikTok is very big. It's coming on the rise. I wanted I to ask you about this. So I'm glad you I haven't joined the bandwagon, but I do enjoy watching them. They're super fun. I just don't feasibly right now have the time and the question that I asked some people who were like, I'm getting into TikTok. And I asked, you know, of you and the people that you know that are on it, has anybody made money from it yet? And so far, the answer is no. And that doesn't mean that somebody can't be a maverick and turn it into, you know, brand deals and sponsorships and all that good stuff. But for our female entrepreneur space, I'm not necessarily going to jump on there and do anything like cheeky yet. And that's what Instagram stories is for. If I'm going to be, and that's another tip, like if you're going to be producing content, pick one, two, or three major platforms, one of which can be email marketing, one of which can be a community on Facebook, and then your Instagram, where you're really doubling down on those to do a great quality job in fewer versus a service level job in more. Um, so anyways, it doesn't really answer your question, just a tangent. So TikTok's big right now, and I think it's going to continue to be on the rise and I will probably chew my words when it jumps up and I have to join the bandwagon and awesome. I'll be there when I need to, but, um, I don't know. I mean, Instagram continues to grow and Facebook does continue to grow too. They take on different shapes and forms as they have evolved and, and what kind of like identity when, when that whole Dolly Parton, um, yeah theories was trending. Like here's a personality of your Facebook photo, here's a personality of your Instagram photo. So we'll see what happens personality wise. I think Instagram is just so at the peak right now, especially in our space, that it's hard to see it being anything other than this epic tool for us to really run our businesses. 
I love it. So true. And it's so true about TikTok too. Like I, I joined the bandwagon just because I had to see what it was all about. And you literally like make one video and it's like, oh, I spent like four hours doing that. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to look yours up. Oh no, it's not good. I mean, you can, <laughs> it's, it's just a guinea pig right now. Um, Awesome. Well, love to hear that. So now we're going to dive into our working girl talk top 10 questions. Okay. So number one, first thing I do in the morning. Scrape my tongue. Scrape your tongue. Oh, if I have any platform. So the bacteria that detoxes from your body in the night. It's vapors are coming out of your skin, which is fabulous, which is why we want to drink a big glass of water. We're like a houseplant in the morning and get some sunlight, but scraping the bacteria that did a great job of detoxing off of your tongue before you drink the water or else you are flushing it right back into your system, not for the best. And that also then goes to your gut, which speaks to your brain, which speaks to mental fog and serotonin. So scrape that tongue. I love it. Do you have a recommendation for a tongue scraper? Yeah, I have a sterling silver one that's off of Amazon. If you search like sterling silver tongue scraper on Amazon, you'll probably find that one or one super similar and it's not expensive and it's well worth it. I love it. Let's scrape those tongues. Number two, I'm obsessed with blank right now. I'm obsessed with, well, okay, here's a thing. I am getting married in like 10 months. And so thank goodness we have a wedding planner. Um, but with that, she needs us to do the Pinterest board and send like, oh, so hard, send her hair and makeup and like dress suggestions and color suggestions. So in my free time, I am obsessing over Pinterest in my wedding right now. I love it. So much fun. Third question. My first job ever. My first job ever was at a beauty center, which is a kind of like a makeshift salon where there's product and booking in the front and then salon chairs in the back. And I was a customer service slash booker person, but they did let you earn extra money off of commission off of the product of the month. So if it was um, hair gel and somebody came in and said, I need nail polish, then I would be like, put this hair gel on your toes. So (laughs) not the best, but I did make a good amount of commission. There are probably a lot of angry people who went and put that hair gel like on their rash, but you know, it's whatever. Number four, favorite skincare, beauty, or self-care product besides the tongue scraper? (laughs) Yes. I am obsessed skincare-wise with Drunk Elephant. I have their, um, I get it at Sephora, and I have their skin cleanser and their lotion, which is like satin on your skin. And then they have this nighttime serum. Seriously, if you have a blemish, you will wake up in the morning looking like a newborn baby with this night serum. Ooh, I love it. Number five, favorite account to follow on Instagram? Hmm, there's so many. It's a tough one. I know that's a really tough one. I feel like I have to pull it up and see who pops up. Cause there's, I'm so, like I said, I'm so close with the community that I'm consuming so much content of theirs. Okay. I'm going to say right now I've been obsessing over Alex who owns high moon studio. Her handle is high. Okay, I actually just followed her. That's so funny. Yeah. Weird. Like small world. That's so funny. I know. Well, she, so she's doing my refresh of my brand and my rebuild of the website. So I've been watching everything she's been saying as a client, just super excited, but she also has the best vibes that uh, such a great down to earth podcast. She calls it like it is. She loves boho things, interior design, and she's just a joy to watch. So high moon studio, highly recommend. 
I have blank at my desk always. Six beverages at once. I <laughs> always have multiple beverages. I talk so much that there is a coffee, a water, and then usually a wild card third beverage. I love it. I've seen on your Instagram stories. <laughs> it's awesome. Next one, best advice I've ever received. Two things come to mind. Number one is from my mom, which was do not wear the thing or do the thing if you don't personally feel confident in it, because no matter how good you look or how good the speech sounds, if you don't feel like it is a slam dunk, your lack of confidence will shine through and it will squash what it is that you are looking to do. And then the other one is that bamboo takes six years traditionally to grow above ground. So you have to bury the seed and actually tend to the seed for five years before you actually see anything from it. But when you do see something from it, it spurts above ground and it can grow up to 60 feet high over the course of two months. So you work and you work and you work and then all of a sudden you see this big spurt. And so it's used a lot as a metaphor for business to say like, dig in, be relentless, your time is coming. And I think that there are, so I'm putting my own spin on the advice. I think there are so many little wins along the way that we shouldn't be looking at our business like bamboo. We should instead be looking at it like an ever blossoming bush. So we've got rows after rows after rows that we get to celebrate every time it comes up. And that can be as small as I finally have the mental clarity on what direction I want to go to, or I actually created my first landing page, or I finally finished a 10 part email sequence. These little wins mean so much for the big picture. And you would not get to where you are without having that rock solid foundation. So celebrate your little victories along the way. I love that. And I love that analogy. That is such a great insight to have. I think sometimes we're so worried about the end result. We forget to focus on the small wins. So yes. <laughs> Next one, favorite book, resource, podcast, just something like a medium that's had an impact on you that you'd want to share. Hmm. Books wise, I usually consume my personal and professional development audibly. I just like to multitask. It helps me actually focus. And so for books, I am a big mystery thriller reader. I use it as like, it's my guilty pleasure time and I keep my reading kind of sacred. And so anybody need any recommendations? I read like a zillion books a year that are all she, the girl in the cabin, the girl in the woods. <laughs> um, impact wise then like podcasts, I consume a lot of I go through phases where I want to hear more about the mindset and spirituality of business to really coach a client through some hard stuff versus the strategy of business. So I've got the greats on, on kind of repeat. I've got Steve McLaren and Amy Porterfield and all of them, but then also um, James Wedmore, Mind Your Business. He's really, really good for some of that like business needs mindset. Um, yeah. I'm a big podcast listener. So everything, like all development is usually happening through podcasts. Next one, proudest moment as a business owner. The, I mean, all of my clients, I love all of my children equally, but my clients are coming to mind because we've just been able to do such incredible things from an impact perspective and an income perspective, not only gaining a ton of profit in their businesses, but being able to hear about how they're changing lives. And they send me screenshots of women who are just crying to them in the DMs to say like, you're coaching, you're training, you're free resource. Even it changed the way that I thought about things. And this is the result. Personally speaking in the beginning of COVID in March, I did a flash sale for my five figure Instagram course. And I took $100 from every sale 
and I put it into a support pool for women in need that were impacted negatively by COVID. And I had a little submission thread to submit yourself or submit a friend or loved one that is going through a hard time. And the purchases slash the outpouring of people who previously purchased who were like, I can't buy it again to donate that hundred dollars, but I want to send the money who were just PayPaling me, Venmoing me tons of money for the support pool. We gained a total of, I think it was $8,600 and we impacted about a hundred women that were struggling to put food on the table that couldn't cover rent. One girl who was in our space and was a coach and she just kept investing, investing, investing for her business to be able to pop and it wasn't popping. And she got down to being evicted from her apartment and was actually living out of her car without enough gas money to get from Texas back home to Washington where her family was going to house her. And we were able to get her home, get her phone, get her car, get her food. Like that just, I have chills. That ability, when we talk about, you know, income and impact and we do have big dreams for the animal shelter and the homeless youth and the things that we want to do ultimately, but being able to drill into real women being impacted in real time was so freaking rewarding. That is awesome. I love that. I got chills too. Super cool. And last question, and it kind of relates to that. I am inspired by blank. I'm really inspired by people who are rewriting some of the norms. I think most of us are, you know, people who are mavericks and pioneer, but when in that podcast listening, if I find someone who starts explaining a proprietary methodology or that they've hacked the system and they're able to have six figure months over one product because this is the way that they approach it. When I hear some sort of a, I've, I've made, I've cracked the code. I've, I've figured out the matrix and they're able to explain it. Transparency and thinking outside of the box to rewrite something that you've seen successful done successfully, but you want to take to the next level is so inspiring to me. Where can everyone follow you and keep up with you in Social Bungalow? At the Social Bungalow. That's on all the platforms. So you can search the Social Bungalow on basically anything. But I jam out the most on Instagram, of course. And there is, it's kind of the main hub to find anything that we talked about today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shannon. Yes, thanks, Abby. This is the best. Wasn't that amazing? Make sure to follow Shannon and check out her website, which leads me to my Friday favorite, which is just Shannon's website, her social media, the Facebook group. All of her content is super helpful. Her website is beautiful. Her Instagram is popping. Definitely just check her out. She's awesome. If anything resonated with you today, make sure to subscribe to the show on the platform you're listening in. Give us five stars. And while you're listening, make sure to snap a pic to your story and tag us so we know what you think of the show. We can share it too. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week.